Jay Ashcroft won a Republican primary for Secretary of State in a landslide, and now he's turning his attention to the general election season. The Republican from St. Louis County joins us on another edition of Politically Speaking. Okay. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Uh, I think that is fair As to I say. I say, hands to kiss and babies to shake. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think my record speaks for itself. That's a really good question. Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio today is... Colleague Joe Manis. And returning to the show for the second time, we have as our special guest... Jay Ashcroft. Thanks for having me. You, yeah. are, you are now the Republican nominee for Secretary of State. Yes. Um, we had him on, I think, in March. Yes, and that was when you were the one among the candidates. Now you're the nominee. So we, we, inter- we interviewed Robin Smith, who's the Democratic nominee... As I said in the previous show, neither major party candidate has heard each other's interviews. We're trying to be as fair, balanced, and unafraid as possible. Yeah, we're not posting anything or putting anything on the radio until both of them are it's finished up. But I do mean this, and I'm not just saying this to, to butter up to the two candidates. The Secretary of State's office is actually one of the most important offices in state government. Absolutely. And it does not get a lot of coverage because it often gets overshadowed by governor, U.S. Senate, or, pre- or president. So we wanted to give the voters as much possible opportunity to know about their candidates as possible. So thanks for coming back. Um, I, I wanted to just ask you about the primary because even though you faced an opponent, actually you faced a couple of opponents, but one main opponent, State Senator Will Krause, who I think spent you know, six to low seven figures, you ended up winning by a landslide. I have to just ask, what was kind of your, your thoughts about how the primary ended up? Well, I just um, I'm appreciative that the people looked at the candidates and the issues and decided to allow me to continue on to the general election. I, now, do you think you won because of the issues, or I mean, I'm going to be play devil's advocate. Did did your name help? I'm sure my name helped, um, but I also think it helped to be on the right side of, of of the issues. I think it helped to have been the the individual that started off trying to say that we should have a photo ID constitutional amendment just so that we can have a simple way to protect our votes. Um, that had been stalled in the legislature for nine years. Uh, we were able, working with the legislature, to make that happen. I think that that's what people wanted. They want someone with ideas uh, that had a true understanding of the role of government. Now, your Democratic opponent uh, contends that a, I mean, she basically has the general Democratic line that the uh, photo ID requirement, especially the one in Missouri <laughs> uh, being proposed, would be so restrictive that it would really cut off potentially hundreds of thousands of legitimate voters. I'm just just to get your response here. And particularly because the implementation bill, as it now stands, the re- acceptable IDs is fairly narrow. And unless the state issues them, and of course the state's going to have to spend an estimated well over, I mean, several million dollars a year doing that. So with, with that as a backdrop, what's your response? Well, unfortunately, it's demonstrably false. Um, I, I've spent a lot of time, actually, I've used my legal background. I am an attorney as long as, as well as an engineer. But I've actually looked at the way that the law stands now and what that implementation bill would do. Um, and it's provable that not a single individual that is legally allowed to vote now would not be allowed to vote after the implementation of that bill. 
regardless of whether or not they have a government-issued photo ID. So anyone that says that it disenfranchises individuals is wrong. In fact, the way that bill is written, there are currently legal voters that are turned away at the poll in municipal elections that would be allowed to vote under that new standard because it increases the use of provisional ballots. And when you think about what happened uh, in the municipal elections, which we had here in St. Louis, where we had 64, 65 polling places that ran out of ballots, if we had had provisional ballots mandated in case people needed them, such as we would have under this law that was passed, we would not have had near the problem we had, or we might not have had any problem with people being turned away from the polls. So anyone that's read the legislation would know that that's false. Now, provisional ballots, one of the contentions, though, has been that often they aren't counted unless there's unless every every everything else is counted would would a standard better be to require polling places to have a larger number of ballots i mean because it used to be this sounds like an old lady here that that it had to be like 110% or 120% of the registered voters in that district and then the law got changed so they didn't have to have as many and some say that is really the, the problem I'm just interested uh, in your take it, on that it. actually wouldn't have solved the problem in, in April um, what happened in April was where you had polling places with multiple ballot styles or right. ballot types so there would be a ballot style let's say a B and C to keep it simple and if you looked at history you would say we need a hundred of ballot a 50 of ballot B and 10 of ballot C and what got delivered was 100 of ballot C, 10 of ballot right. B. And, and that's what they had the right total number if you just counted all the ballots, but they didn't have the right number of each type of ballot. Now, what, what role, I mean, because one of the contentions is the Secretary of State, I mean, by law, has really limited oversight over local election authorities. If you'd been a Secretary of State when that came up, what would you have done different than what Kander did? Well, well, first of all, one of the problems that we've had in the Secretary of State's office is we have not had a Secretary of State that's been working with the local election authorities. Um, elections are actually run by local election authorities in the state of Missouri. Secretaries of State like mm -hmm. to take credit for them until there's a problem and they disavow it. Um, but what you really need to do is you need to be working proactively because once a problem happens in an election, you yeah. can't fully solve it. We saw it with, Pe with the Hubbard-Franks election. They had a new election because of irregularities, but there were people disenfranchised because they couldn't vote in that second election. Think of the military personnel that didn't have the opportunity to send in absentee ballots. So so what you need is a secretary of state that's proactive. One of the things that I've done is we've set up a, a task force, a, a group of 10 elected county uh, local election authorities that are all county clerks, five Republicans and five Democrats, to work with them to find out how we can better hold elections, how the secretary of state's office can work with them for best practices to make sure that the policies and procedures are done correctly and are in place so that they, they know how to act if there's a problem, and also to make sure that they know that we'll, they'll have the resources necessary when there's a problem. Well, I'm glad we got, we're touching on this uh, <laughs> municipal election situation, although it does seem like it was 100,000 years ago at this point. The, the thing that I kept asking myself is, practically, you're talking about being proactive. Would you have somebody from the Secretary of State's office, like, check in with all the county election officials that are having municipal elections before it happens to make sure there's no problems? Because that seems like that would be a very time and staff in intensive thing to do if these local election officials are basically supposed to be doing this without that type of help. I just want to know what you would have done 
from a practical standpoint and specifically in that situation? Well, let me kind of first say that the Secretary of State, when it comes to federal elections under HAVA, is the chief election authority. So you already are required under that standard to be working with local election authorities, how they run elections where there's a federal candidate on the ballot. Mm -hmm. Now, it seems common sense to me that you should make sure that the policies and procedures and best practices that you work with when you have that federal authority are also the best practices and policies and procedures that they would fall when they're running those municipal elections. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's, it's a, an inconvenience for the Secretary of State to make sure that elections are run badly, even at the municipal election. A, municipal elections matter. Aren't run badly, you mean? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. Yes, to make sure that they aren't run badly. Not only are municipal elections important, but the people running the municipal election, the way they run the municipal election, are also the way they're going to run the state and federal right. elections. Do you think that the St. Louis and St. Louis County Election Board should be fundamentally restructured? Like, I, I know that you wouldn't be the decision maker on that. That would be the legislature. Right. But and you, the governor. And, and the governor would have to sign off on it. But you could certainly provide input. And it seems like there's been a lot of problems with how both of those election boards have functioned. And what was, this is, this is kind of an aside, but what was odd to me during the Franks Hubbard situation was that the governor asked the Board of Election Commissioners in St. Louis to resign over the fact that they didn't supply envelopes for the in-person absentee balloting. Yet in St. Louis County, they were doing the same thing, yet the governor didn't ask the current chairman of that election board, who has an expired term and who happens to be very tied in with organized labor, to resign as well, which kind of is, again, an aside, but kind of just shows that there's been problems with both. What do you think about maybe restructuring how they, they work? Well, I, th I think the first thing you should do in any sort of situation is do a vigorous investigation to see what's going on. I was part of the investigation with the April 5th uh, with what happened with the municipal ballots. But I think right now the best thing to do is to work with the local election authorities to make sure exactly what's needed instead of rushing headlong in to writing a bill. If you've ever looked at, you know, Section 115 of the Missouri Revised Statutes, it's a mess. There are all sorts of gaps. It's not clear who's responsible for things, and we need to be careful about that. Yeah, which brings up the whole absentee ballot yes. issue, I mean, which is complicated. Bottom line is this. Absentee ballots are not part of the photo ID proposal that's on the ballot. Uh, Nor is it in the implementation bill. Correct. So absentee ballots wouldn't be affected as far as having to show photo IDs or even like the people who, let's say, uh, the mail-in absentees where it's mailed out to nursing homes and mailed back. Okay, so you've got that. Uh, two, um, in the case of uh, conflicts between federal and state law, we're running into a situation now where the state law requires that the absentee ballots be put in an envelope. Most of the major jurisdictions, including St. Louis County, have been doing most of their absent their live absentee ballots on the electronic voting machines. Now they can't do that. Now, so you've got a situation where you could have tens of thousands of votes that won't be able to be counted until election day. This could be delay when the final results are. I, you mean St. Louis's election results might come in late for some reason? No, but well, the, <laughs> hey, but I mean, there's other parts of the state too. I, I could, I, I have stories about Springfield, <laughs> but 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 the bottom line is that now it's even more convoluted. At the same time, you've got a federal law that requires that uh, electronic voting machines be available for uh, people with disabilities. 
And so they're running into a situation where the state law says you have to have them in envelope. Federal law says you have to have electronic machines for um, people with disabilities. People with with disabilities. If you're Secretary of State, how are you going to get that resolved? Well, I mean, we've already seen a, there was a court ruling uh, on Friday. Uh, Friday. On Friday. Um, where the, the federal court said for individuals that uh, may have visual uh, difficulties that need to use an auditory ballot or for other individuals in similar situations, they should be allowed to use the accessible voting machines that are required under the Helping Americans Vote Act. I think that's that's common sense. I think they came to the right decision. It was a little convoluted how they got there, but I'm fully in favor of that. But, do, I mean, in order to resolve from this happening again, are you going to be pushing for any change in state law. There is a change in the state law with regard to um, absentee ballots and how they can be voted. It hasn't gone into effect yet. It's been passed. Correct. I think it goes into effect in 2018. Right. I wouldn't be surprised if the legislature came back and maybe moved that up to 2017. But I did have another absentee ballot question. One of the things that came about during this uh, Frank's Hubbard situation is both the Post-Dispatch and um, Frank's attorney were able to get the absentee ballot applications through a sunshine request. Now, I want to be clear. Some people think that's a good thing. because it's not it, the ballots themselves. Not the ballot themselves, but the, this, these are the applications that not only have all the like information of who's applying, but also the party affiliation, which isn't typically the case. Right. That has not been ever public. And I think that although this process pretty much helped uncover a lot of irregularities that I think was part of really great work by the Post-Dispatch. There are some on the other side of the spectrum, even people who are supportive of Bruce Franks, who are concerned that now if there's a close election, people can sunshine requests for who applied for absentee balloting, go to the people and ask them why they did it, and they may not have the same reasoning, and it could entangle voters in some potential legal problems. Well, and Candor has raised the issue of uh, d- victims of domestic violence and stuff like that, people who um, are in, are in uh, federal I- identity, pro- you know, special yeah. special identity programs, that this could out where they are. So, I mean, so, so what do you think about yeah. this? Well, I, I, I think that it's very simple that there are times when you redact information. We do that all the time. If there's a, a document that's, that's, as I'll say from a legal term, discoverable, except using the, 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 the Sunshine Act, we'll go ahead and we'll blank out that Social Security number so that that's not given. Right. Um, I think it's pretty easy to look at this and set into place some some policies, some procedures, some standards for exactly what information is released and what of that kind of really private information that we would not necessarily getting out. You know, like we do it with court records all the time for credit card numbers or the, or the yeah. like. We can do that. Um, one of the things that I talked with the clerks when we met for the first time with this uh, advisory board on, on election integrity and how to run elections well was actually talking to them about this very subject, about how do we ref- how do we fill those sunshine requests, how do we do it accurately and make sure that the information we give out is correct. Yeah, because again, I see value in those applications being available, as we just saw. But I think that there is a possibility that that process could be abused if less responsible campaigns use it to basically play gotcha games with voters. But I don't think that was what the Franks campaign was doing in that sense. So I don't think that came up. But I could see that being a problem down the road, basically. Yeah, unless you redacted which party ballot the people asked for and just said that they asked for an absentee ballot. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know if you can do that because even well, well, now when you vote in person, 
it can be a matter of record how you voted to the political parties because they can have someone there that's watching and if, they can record it. Yeah, which if, is different in right, person right, than absentee. Right, but 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 they can't go to the public record later and find it out. Right. They they have to have what's known as a challenger right. standing in the back of the room, <laughs> and you know, kind of keeping their but but. They cannot be standing like I mean they 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 can't. They can't be, watch you vote. They correct. can watch the process of you confirming your identity and correct. getting the ballot. Correct. Yeah, exactly. But I feel like that's going to be something the legislature will look in. And if you are Secretary of State, I'm sure that you will provide input. Well, we we we, we can't assume that. What would you do? <laughs> no, How, I, I definitely want to provide input. You know, so, with our current Secretary of State, when they've had legislative hearings, all too often you have local election authorities, county clerks that come to to testify, and the Secretary of State's office sends someone down to says we don't have an opinion on this. One of the things that I've talked about doing, um, and I've put it out on a press packet to a lot of uh, press organizations, I don't know if you got it, was I'd like to see um, a change in, the, in, in legislation requiring the Secretary of State uh, to be more accountable for giving out election advice to local election authorities. Right now, we have local county clerks that when they don't know what the law requires, they go to Facebook to ask other clerks because when they called the Secretary of State up, he won't give them the answer and he won't give it to them in writing. I'd like to see a more formalized process like you can have for certain individuals and political subdivisions to request a legal opinion from the Attorney General's office that local election authorities could request a legal opinion as to what the law requires with regard to an election from the Secretary of State's office. You'd have to decide how long and what format to put it in, but it would be returned in writing. And then the kicker, which would really definitely need the uh, legislature to act on it. I'd like to see that if that local political, that subdivision is sued pursuant to following that election advice that was given to them by the Secretary of State's office, that that lawsuit have to be against the Secretary of State's office instead of against that local election authority. I think that creates accountability. It incentivizes the Secretary of State to make sure they give the right answers, and it also incentivizes them to be a part of the legislative process to make sure that the laws are easy to understand so that they never get asked in the first place. I asked the same question to Robin Smith, and I'll ask it to you. Why do you feel that you are, A, the best candidate to be Secretary of state and why you are more qualified than your opponent to take this job? Well, I'll just talk about myself. I think one of the problems we have in politics is we've gone from being worried about finding the solution to we've, got, we've gotten to the point where we're worried about assigning the blame. And when you're just trying to assign the blame, it's inherently divisive. When you're trying to find a solution, you can have different viewpoints working toward the same goal. And that's where we need to be. Um, I, I look at the Secretary of State's office. They are looking to hire a Secretary of State. And when you look at the roles and the duties and the responsibilities of the office, I'm the only person running that's actually done elections. I've been brought on by a city when they had a problem with an election. An individual in Dixon, Missouri, the elected police chief, a marshal if you're elected, uh, didn't meet the, uh, the standards for being the police chief. They called me in to see what does the law require, how should we act. I've worked elections for the county. I've worked for the party. I've been an attorney to help with them. I've gone through the initiative petition process. We talked about absentee ballots and photo ID. Um, it's kind of interesting as that an, uh, amendment was first written by me, it applied to absentee ballots. It was the Democrats that caused that to get taken out because they didn't want that identification requirement for absentee ballots. So I think when you look at elections, having an attorney who understands the law, can give legal answers, has worked elections, has worked with the clerks, I think that's important. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask about how would you have a photo ID requirement apply to non-in-person absentee balloting? Because obviously when you go into a county clerk, you have to show your ID, I believe, or some sort of ID. How would it work if it's just somebody sending it at their house? Well, he can't require it. 
Even if Amendment 6 passes, you can't require that, right, without a change in state law? Uh, there would <clears throat> it would be a change in state law, but I want to know practically but how, would you, how that how would occur. Act, if state law allowed it in the con- it, it was that's, how that's what it? I meant. Okay, Joe. okay, okay. Sorry. Uh, you know, other states have required um, when you send it in, you send in a photocopy of your driver's license or something like that. You you include the the number from your driver's license, just some way to make it a little bit more difficult. Can you still cheat? Yes. Will it solve all election fraud? No. Does it make it harder to cheat? Yes. Does it make people know that their votes count and are stronger? Yes. Would you, if if Amendment Six passes and the implementation bill goes into effect and it survives all legal challenges, would that be a legislative change you would push for? Just what you said right now, uh, to allow uh, uh, some sort of better identification of absentee ballots. Of, of course, yeah. If you look at the majority of the ballots in the Franks Hubbard case, correct. No identification was required. It didn't even require a notary. If, if, if the person it, was incapacitated. If or the they person said they were claimed to be incapacitated. Now, let's be let's be clear here. If you are incapacitated, we need to make sure that, that we, we give you the right opportunity to vote. I don't want to get in that way. But it shouldn't be an easy way for anybody that wants to vote in someone else's name. And that's the way it is right now. We don't know what happened in the, in the Franks Hubbard case because they didn't need to prove fraud. Um, but if you read what the Post-Dispatch did in their investigation, there's, there was an awful lot of smoke. Yeah. But I mean, but let's say, OK, someone is, let's say, a paraplegic. They may not have a driver's license. They may right. not have a passport. Right. They may be, you know, uh, unfortunately hooked up to machines or uh, people in some elderly in nursing homes who cannot who, who are not mobile. Well, if, so if you look you at the law, if you're elderly, you're not required to under the the, the, the law that was passed. Well, the, it does not require. And actually, well, the law it that was specifies passed. a certain date. So, I mean, people who are born, let's say, before 1941 or something like that. But the point is, down the road, that's not. Let's put it this way: ten years from now, it's not going to that that <laughs> that exemption ain't going to apply to me, you know, or other people. Well, I was not calling point, you old. Well. I'm, you know, I'm, I am. But the point I'm getting is, people who are born in the '50s right. or '60s, because the law is a specific date, as opposed to saying people over a certain age. Certain age. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, do you think that should be fixed or something like that? You know, right now the state, um, before that uh, requirement can even go into effect, the legislature has to appropriate money, and the state has to provide free photo IDs to people that don't have them. Um, it doesn't require you to be a driver. You can use a non-driver's ID. There are other IDs you can use. Um, the way the statute is written, I'll go back to it as, as, as I said originally, if you can legally vote now, you will be able to legally vote after that statute is implemented. In fact, there are people that may have been turned away earlier that will now be able to legally vote. And I think it's 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 a sad commentary on our society that people would misconstrue what that law does and say that would, people would be disenfranchised. No one can point to a single individual that would be disenfranchised by that statute. It was written to do two things, to make sure that every eligible voter had the right opportunity to vote and to make it harder for people to cheat. That's what it does. And the people that are saying it does otherwise are misinformed. To, to move to a slightly different topic, but to stay in elections, I think we may have asked you this before. Is there anything about the ballot uh, item summary process? Because for our listeners, the that's secret- going to be very important in yeah. the future. So the Secretary of State ends up writing a short summary of any constitutional amendment or initiative petition that makes it into the ballot. Now, other uh, potential aspirants, especially on the Republican side, have talked about huge changes to that. I'm interested to hear what you would do with that process, because 
it's a really important process because that is pretty much what a lot of voters see for the first time when they end up voting on a lot of these things. Well, and it's, it's, it's you, when you look at the election we're having on November 8th, you're going to vote on the raise your hand for kids tobacco tax increase. Well, two different Well, but that's taxes. one of them. And that one, the uh, Missouri Court of Appeals for the Western District held that the Secretary of State's ballot language was misleading and inaccurate. Right. Because so they, it was a so tax increase, it, right. and he didn't tell you actually how how big the tax increase was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's vitally important that when we have an election day, it's the will of the people that's made known. It's not the Secretary of State's necessarily their will or the local election authority putting their thumb down on the scale. One of the things that I've talked to people about is trying to have a committee, a, an auxiliary committee or an advisory committee, maybe a couple of, of uh you know, elementary school teachers, a couple of attorneys, a couple of individuals that work in the news business, uh, broadcast or print that are used to the English language and writing so it's understandable, that don't necessarily have a political bias or a, a, an axe to grind, and, and running a potential language by them. So that not only do we kind of have a filter, obviously, as Secretary of State, I would still be responsible for it, um, but that we have a better group of individuals from disparate ways of life that say, this is what that language means to me, so that you can have a better sense, almost like focus grouping it. Does this, if people, when they read this, is it going, are they going to understand it to be what it really is? And also, I think it would give people more certainty that if you had gone through a process like that with a representative sample of people, that a court would look at that and say, look, if these people from these different walks of life believe that's what it meant, we're going to leave that language alone. So I think it gives you better language and it gives you certainty. Right now, the courts might overturn whatever happens with the Raise Your Hand for Kids tobacco initiative because all those signatures, contrary to state law, were uh, accepted after that language had been changed. And this is a specific... Yeah, The the signatures were gathered with the wrong language. Right, correct. This is a specific example, but I want you to touch on the broader point. Um, There is also a constitutional amendment on the ballot that deals with campaign donation limits. And it's an almost certainty that it's going to be challenged in court if it passes. I think the chances of it passing are pretty high. I I would imagine that you're not a huge supporter of donation limits, but I want to hear your philosophy of defending ballot initiatives are initiatives that you may not agree with how vigorous you're going to be. That that would be a, a pretty specific example, but I want to hear your more general philosophy on that. Well, I I think the first thing is you shouldn't run for an office if you're not willing to fulfill the duties and responsibilities of that office. Mm -hmm. Um, As Secretary of State, it's not your job to try to push people. I mean, obviously, I'm trying to get people to vote for me. Sure. But on ballot initiatives, it's not my job in my official capacity to get them to vote one way or the Mm -hmm. other. It's my job to do such a good, to be like an umpire in baseball. If you do a good job, nobody knows you're there. Mm -hmm. I should write that language so that people know what they're voting on Mm -hmm. and they make the decision. Mm -hmm. If you don't have faith in the will of the people expressed through elections, you shouldn't be Secretary of State. The point of that job is to assist them and allow their voice to be heard, and that's why I'm running. Now, um, but what is your stance on campaign donation limits? I'm not in favor of it. Um, I think, you know, the engineer side of me says that's a Band-Aid. You're Mm -hmm. not getting Mm -hmm. to the root cause of the problem. And the root cause of the problem is that government is involved into too many things. If government, through a couple of words and a statute that's going to get enacted, can decide that Company A gets an extra $100 million versus Company B, that big money is always going to find its way into the process. And we're not fixing the root cause of that problem. If you want to get money out of politics... 
reduce the size of government, put it on a diet, and allow people to make their own decisions, get government out of the way, and you won't have those same problems. If that particular initiative is passed and it stands in court, there's no limitations on how much a local or county candidate could raise an election, which I have t said for a while could cause a proliferation of candidates creating those municipal or county committees to raise unlimited amounts of money. I don't know or think that you could be able to transfer it to another office, but that seems like it's an example of it's not necessarily going to get money out of politics. It's just going to shift it around. Potentially. Well, I, I think the best example of how it wouldn't get money out of politics, and I understand the concern sure, of people. Sure. I mean, my gut, I'm, I'm against the campaign finance limits, but my gut feeling is that there's too much money in politics. Right. I just don't think that's the best way to get it out of there. Um, but if you look at initiative petitions, if you look at the ability to amend statutes through the initiative process or the Constitution, there are no limitations on that. Mm -hmm. In the campaign right. finance reform, no, there is no. I, I think you will see special interests issues. with large amounts of money that say, "Okay, we'll come in." And I think it's better normally to go through the legislative process because that allows people to understand what's going on. It gives time for you know intrepid investigative reporters to say, "Here's the problem with that. Here's the good side. Here's the bad side," and people know about it. When you have initiative petitions, people generally don't know a whole lot about them. Now. The Secretary of State's office, although we've, we've been focusing on elections, you have a lot of other stuff that the Secretary of State would be doing as well. You know, over overseas securities in the state, right. basically overseas business registrations in the yep. state. There's a number of business-related things. you dole things. out grants to libraries? Uh, yes. yes, the yes. state library and uh, UCC filings under there. All the state archives with the genealogical Correct. information, which I think is very important to make sure that people have the requisite access to that. Although you have to protect exactly what information, because there could be some personal information on there that you shouldn't release publicly. Yeah. So do you have any thoughts on either changes you would make or just things that you would want to do <laughs> regarding those other? You know, one of the things, and this comes from my engineering background, is regulatory reform. I think we're still stuck in kind of a 1930s, 1940s era of how we create rules and regulations. We propose it. We allow people to comment on it. We ask them politely to be quiet, and then we decide whether or not to implement it. Well, the only time you really know when a regulation, what uh, the uh, outcomes of a regulation are, are after you put it into place. You know, this is what uh, what Deming was saying when he went to the automotive makers, and I said, forget you. We don't need you. Went over to to Japan, and they started making better cars, and Ford and Chrysler and GM said, come on back and tell us. We need to make sure that our process is good. And when we're doing rules and regulations, we ought to have public comment the entire time, not only just when we're proposing them, but once they're implemented. And we should have a standard practice for taking those comments and returning them back to the executive department, the administrative departments, the legislature, um, you know, the chairman of the committees <coughs> over them saying, are these regulations working as they should? Are we getting the bang for the buck? Because every regulation costs you as a consumer something. Now, sometimes we'd say, yeah, that's a good regulation, but other times it's adding a nickel or it's adding two cents to every bag of groceries you buy, and it's not doing a darn bit of good for you. We need someone that's out there and, and, and worried about that. I think we also <laughs> need to have, especially you brought up the securities regulation, um, everything essentially that the SEC doesn't regulate, the Secretary of State does through the blue sky laws of the state. We've had secretaries of state previously that have said, gee, if I get good headlines, I can move on up to another office. Well, if you're looking for headlines, all you do is go after companies. And I think we need a secretary of state that says, you know what? First and foremost, I should be trying to help companies in the, in the securities industry 
act in the right way so they don't get in trouble, so that the citizens of the state of Missouri uh, aren't taken advantage of. So I should be working with them, uh, getting out of Jefferson City to meet with them, telling them how to act appropriately and working with them, and then if I have to, going after those companies that act badly. I mean, there's just a couple of different ways. You need a change I'm afraid that we've had secretaries of state that have acted kind of like some of the professors um, that I was with at the community college. Most of them were not like this, but you ran it every once in a while, or maybe at my, when I was graduating from college, you ran into professors that said, boy, this job would be a lot easier if it wasn't for the students. You know, we need a secretary of state that realizes his role is to be of customer service to every voter, to every person that might register to vote, that might run for office, that might be in the securities industry or use that, or might start a business that understands it's about serving the people of the state and allowing them to live their lives the way they want. Wasn't Roy Blunt a teacher before he became secretary of state? Roy Blunt was a great secretary of state. (laughs) He was a college president later. I've I've traveled the state talking to the the, the clerks. I've been to two of their organizations to talk and take questions. And um, I've even had Democrats clerks say the best secretary of state they've ever worked for was Roy Blunt because he worked with them. I want to talk a little bit about the campaign ahead. Um, Joe asked this to your opponent. What are you kind of thinking from a mechanical standpoint you're going to be doing in the next few weeks? Are you going to be running TV ads, radio ads? Are you going to rent a blimp that says vote Ashcroft? <laughs> I kind of want to get a sense of what voters should should expect. We don't have a blimp. We do have a, an RV okay. that someone donated with Jay Ashcroft on it that we use when we're traveling. We're, I'm just going to continue what I've been doing for what last year and a half, almost two years, getting out, meeting the people of the state, telling them my vision, what I believe we need to do, my qualifications, and listening to what they have to say. I think we have too many people in Jefferson City, and frankly, we've all been like this one time or another, that are frequently wrong but never in doubt. And I don't want to do that, and I think the best way to uh, avoid that is to get out and listen to the people of the state. So would be would would be safe to assume that you will be running TV or radio ads the we next few will. weeks? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I haven't heard you mention your opponent much at all. She mentioned you a lot during her show. She's talking about how she's well-known because of the fact that she's on TV. I'm sure you're well-known because, A, you just ran a competitive statewide contest. You ran a competitive state senate contest in the St. Louis area. And, again, your, your father has a lot of name recognition, too. So how do you kind of stack up name recognition-wise and just as far as the political aspect against her? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not here to, 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 to denigrate my opponent. I'm here to talk about what I think needs to be done for the office and what my qualifications are. Um, and I think that when we do that, we find the best candidates and the best people to fill the office, and we avoid some of the rancor that is, seems inevitable in politics these days. Now, this is the same question I asked her. Do you expect any sort of trickle-down from the presidential contest? The presidential contest, they're not active in the state. I mean, we've had a few spanner right. but but we're not a battleground state. Okay, so because the Democrats don't need us to win, so the assumption is— that the Republican that Trump will probably carry the state. The only issue is what percentage. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's always likelihood that Clinton could win, but the conventional wisdom, based on various polls, some accurate, some not, but they all have the same thing. They all have Trump ahead. Uh, so, from your standpoint, being a down ballot race, sometimes there's a coattail effect. Now, in 2012, we had uh, Romney at the top. He won by 10 percentage points, but then. Uh, Claire McCaskill whomped Todd Akin for the U.S. Senate and by a huge percentage. So the result was that actually if there was any coattails, it was Democratic from that below. From being one of these affected down-ballot races, 
Do you expect the presidential or some of the other top of the ticket stuff to help you or to have any effect? Uh, you know, I, I think it, you know, different races will have different effect on my race, but obviously every race above you on the ballot causes people to mm-hmm. think about different things. I, I try not to concentrate on that. I really have tried to make sure that I'm talking about what I believe and what I think needs to be done and answering people's questions about that. Although I've seen Twitter pictures of you with what, Greitens? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I support Eric Greitens. I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I'm just saying as far as trickle down or Blunt, yeah. I'm assuming at some point. Yeah. I was just with uh, Senator Blunt on Saturday. Yeah. But one of the things, one of the people that was actually in your bipartisan clerks that you mentioned was Wes Wagner, who's mm-hmm. the Democratic clerk of Jefferson County. And that caught my attention because I can't remember the last time a Democrat didn't carry Jefferson County and win a statewide election. And the fact that Wes Wagner supports you, I assume he wouldn't be on this committee if he didn't support you. And he comes from a pretty active political family in Jefferson County. Yeah, but County. conservative Democrat. Conservative Democrat. I think that is, a, at least from a surface-level political sign, a good sign for you. I mean, what do you what, what do you make of that situation? Because it, it did strike me as, as out of the ordinary. Well, I, I think that's just because he's seen me. I've been out. I've been talking to the, the, the Clerks Association. I've been invited to speak twice. Um, I offered to take questions. I, I don't uh-huh. think my, my opponent was willing to take questions. I've tried to be transparent and open book to them to let them understand exactly why I was running and what I believed and, and how much I thought we needed to use their experience and their knowledge to make sure that we run elections well. And I think he's he's looked at both candidates and said, you know, this is the individual that's really going to work to make sure that things are done well, has the credentials and the background to do it, and I'm really happy for his support. I guess my only other question for you is when we had you on the first time, we asked you to reflect on uh, your 2014 race. I'm just curious. You've now won two primaries, one for state Senate and one statewide. What have been some some new things you've picked up along the way as far as campaigning at this level? I'm just curious of your 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 answer to this, because one of the reoccurring things we talk about on this show is sometimes when people lose an election, it's like one of the best things that can happen to them because they learn what to do in the next election. And I'm curious to hear your answer on that. Well, you know, I don't think if I had if I'd ever run that election for state senator, I'd be here. Um, I was really focused on just raising my family and, and taking care of my wife and, you know, just, just being involved in my community that way. Um, but once I kind of got involved in that race, other people came to me for this race. So I wouldn't be here from that. Um, I've been encouraged. You know, when you read the news, sometimes you can get down on what's happening in life, depending on what, you know, obviously we have different perspectives and viewpoints. Um, But I've traveled the state, did 40,000 miles of my car campaign in every county last year. And it's encouraging when you talk to the people that realize that they can do well, they can achieve, their children can achieve, if government will just get out of their way and allow them. And um, when you get out and meet with people, you realize that it just reaffirms that Missouri is a wonderful state with great potential, and we need to allow people to do what they do. So it's encouraging to me. Well, thank you again for coming. And again, we want to give our voters, not our voters, we want to give the voters the best opportunity to know about the candidates as possible. So thank you for taking the time. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And how would we follow you on any sort Jay of Jay Ashcroft media? at Jay Ashcroft Mo on Twitter. All right. Thanks well, for having me. Thank well, you thank again. You, sir. We'll see you some other time. Until then, so long.